Another sports tonight. I can't believe it's Wednesday already. This week's flying by. I'd like to thank the people at Hernando Oaks up there, guys. They played golf the last two days, and I thought I was back in them playing those days, Roger, under Joe Cannon. So if you're ever in the Tampa Bay area, Hernando Oaks, 
352-799-9908. And, and congratulations goes out to our Tampa Bay Lightning. Four straight years in the Stanley Cup playoffs. So Cooper DeBoer is getting ready for cup number two. Like the news, our legends, as always, from Philadelphia, slash the Jersey Shore, Mr. Don Henderson, and Mr. Roger Hander up in Atlanta from the Tampa Bay area, good friend of mine, Mr. Roy Cummings, and Mr. Frank Carroll, another good friend of mine. If it wasn't for Mr. Frank Carroll, he would never be on this, uh, doing this right now. So, Frank and everybody, welcome aboard. And Oh, boy, NFL draft is about a day away, and, and the city of Cleveland's buzzing. <laughs> well, we got a busy week to talk about, Tommy. A lot of things going on, so... Uh... I'll let you lead us in whatever direction you'd like to go. I mean, I'm just Don. I was at it's so frick, I was at the NBA game, the Raptors game, and Don. That's not the same game as I grew up with, and you broadcast for so many great years <laughs> in Philadelphia. My God, these guys—they they never palm the ball. They're in the lane for 15 seconds, and I don't, you know, I don't see the coaches dressed up as they used to. Coach used to dress up a lot, you know. I mean. I was very disappointed with what I saw the game live at the arena the other day, guys. And it's not like the old days of, you know, Bob Lanier, Walt Frazier, Walt Bellamy, uh, Willis Reed. Not, those days are great in basketball. They never come days to come back compared to days are right now. Gentlemen, take it away. I totally well, Roy's the big, uh, the big draft is just ahead of us. And, of course, uh, right now the race uh, finally got off a – a little bit of a win last night, and uh, Tommy just said the Lightning are cruising in, uh, looking forward to what's going to happen in the Stanley Cup playoffs. And I just saw that uh, the Commissioner Bedman said today that uh, there's still no decision about how they're going to go about the playoffs, whether the Canadians, the seven uh, that are playing up there, are going to be able to cross the line and, and come over to the United States and play, or vice versa. So there's a lot of uh, a lot of decisions to be made in the National Hockey League before the Stanley Cup gets going. Yeah, you're right. Uh, there, there definitely is. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I think they're going to wait. And look, as it's been for a year now, uh, the whole situation with COVID is, you know, it's ever-changing. It's changing every day, uh, certainly every week. Um, you know, we're getting closer to uh, herd immunity. Um, certainly in the States we are. I think Canada's probably on the same track. Uh, you're getting closer to having, you know, being able to have people uh, in groups without masks necessarily, but they're at least, you know, outside and, you know, without masks. And, you know, we, by the time the playoffs come around, who knows? Uh, a lot could be different then than, there, than it is now. So there's no sense really in making any announcement on it right now. Um, certainly you have, a, you know, plans in place, and I'm sure there's two or three or four contingency plans uh, as well at this point, um, you know, figure out exactly how you're going to go about all this. But uh, at the end of the day, uh, you know, they'll look, they'll make the decision that's best for everybody and keep everybody safe. Um, but, guys, i got to think, um, the big talk right now is uh, it's all about the draft, is it not? Uh, the NFL draft tomorrow night. Um, Bucks pick up 32. Uh, the Eagles are one of the teams in play. Um, what's the word from Philadelphia before we get into the Bucks and what they could do, by the way, I think the Bucks could be an interesting player in this draft uh, as you Uh-oh. get into the second half of that first round. But um, what, what do you guys see the Eagles doing here? Well, Roger? I'll tell you everything. I, yeah, I'll tell you, Roy. Everything I've heard is uncertainty. 
because, uh, you know, Howie uh, Rosen uh, went up from 6 to 12. Now he wants to come down, and he wants to get in front of the uh, Cowboys and the Giants. Well, Howie, you should have thought about that before you went up to 12. And uh, the, uh, 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 the one of the uh, players uh, that they're talking about is this defensive lineman from Michigan. Uh, he's, uh, I think he's uh, uh, from Guinea. Uh, he's got, you know, an unusual name, obviously. Uh, and uh, But then they're talking about they need a wideout because Nick Sirianni, the new coach, loves wideouts. He was a wideout. So uh, I can't tell you any more than that. It may be that there'll be deals made. Uh, at the last minute, uh, you know, when they see what teams in front of them have taken. Yeah, I can see how it, it – to me it makes sense, uh, and I think we talked about this last week a little bit, but to me it makes sense for the Eagles to – you know, I understand why they're moving around. I think they're trying to max out on this draft as much as they can. I, I think they – and, again, they're in a tough spot. You know, we're not, it's not a tough spot, but, I mean, they put themselves there, but – um, they're in an interesting position. They're in a division that can be had by anybody. Um, right. But they're probably a team that needs to start rebuilding uh, around the quarterback that they've got if they're committed to the quarterback they have. Um, you know, I- I'm not sure if they're committed to Jalen Hurts. I mean, we all thought they were committed no. to Carson Wentz. So mm-hmm. there's no reason to believe they're necessarily committed to uh, Jalen Hurts, who you know, has yet to show me that he's anything better than, Jaylen, than, uh, than Carson Wentz. So... Um, you know, I'm not saying he won't be, but he, he very well could be and more than likely will be. But at the end of the day, uh, they don't. We, it's hard to know if they're committed to him. So, look, wide right. receiver help would, would make sense. Uh, lineman would help. Uh, helps to, to, you know, to play some defense. So uh, they could do a lot of things, and including continue to move down if there's a player to move up. And you know what? That's where I think the Bucks could be very interesting. You're sitting there at 32. You're you're in a top off position for the Buccaneers. You're basically just adding depth. Uh, you're not looking for anybody to step in and start right away, um, but you do need some depth. You need it on the defensive line. You got to start preparing for the day when Jason Pierre-Paul's not there, or when Indomitian Sue's not there. And these days are probably very close. Um, you know, you got to prepare for. You probably could use a, a certainly an offensive lineman. Um, don't necessarily need a a running back or a tight end or a wide receiver, but, you know, they can make a lot of different moves. If there's a player they really like uh, in that first round that, that they're thinking, hey, you know, this guy needs some development, but two years from now, this guy could really be a player for us. I think they're a team that would consider moving up. Jason Light has moved up and down the draft a lot. He's moved out of the top ten. He's moved into the top ten. He's moved, you know, within the top ten. He's a guy who is really uh, – you know, dealt done a lot of dealings, certainly on the first day of the draft and on the second day as well. And uh, I think there could be a lot of that tomorrow as well with him uh, and the Buccaneers. I think they could move up to, you know, four, five, six spots, uh, maybe even more, and uh, go for a player that they really like. At the same time, they could sit there, and if a player like Travis at the end drops to them at number 32, boy, oh, boy, why wouldn't you take advantage of that opportunity? Because um, mm-hmm. as, as good as your running back room looks, uh, if you can add a talent like that, it's a dynamic player with uh, an ability to, to do some things special that uh, maybe guys on your team right now don't can't do. So they're an intri- they're an intriguing team. So are the uh, Eagles. Uh, just about everybody's intriguing because this is a really interesting draft where 
it's just hard to know what anybody's going to do really mm-hmm. based on the fact that um, we don't have a lot of information about the players. Right. Well, the other thing too is that a lot of conversation about the backup for number 12. I mean, you got to get a player that's going to have a year behind Tom in order to settle in a little bit and, uh, and learn the system. Uh, they really don't have a backup quarterback right now. So whether they decide to go to a veteran as a backup quarterback uh, or whether they decide to do something in the draft, uh, but uh, so they're going to have to address the quarterback situation before the season starts. Yeah, I think they are. And, you know, having Ryan Griffin back uh, is good, good for them. But, again, we still haven't seen Ryan Griffin play at the NFL level. In fact, uh, it's been, what, five years now, and uh, he's thrown like, you know, half a dozen passes. So, um, they, they just don't have a lot of uh, tape on the guy, and, and they see him every day at practice, and they may like that, but we all know it's a different game out there on the field on a Sunday. So um, it's hard to know, but you're, you're right. And, again, that's why I think they're an interesting team to look at, uh, certainly in the second half of the draft, depending on how the quarterbacks fall. Um, you know, they may decide to go after a quarterback in the first round. They may decide to move up to make sure they get that quarterback. In the first round, they could sit there and 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 have one fall to them. Um, I don't know if they're interested in Kyle Trask. Uh, could be a somebody they move to to get in the second round or or the third. They could probably sit where they are and 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 pick him off in the second round. But um, it depends on what they think about the quarterback talent that's out there. But you're right, uh, Don. This is an opportunity for the Bucks to, and one that they probably need to take advantage of. Um, start thinking beyond 2021 and 2022 and start thinking down the road. Um, a year ago, at this time, it was all about, it was Super Bowl or bust. It's really the same thing yet again this year, but you've got the Super Bowl in your pocket. Uh, surely you want to win too, but at some point you do have to start thinking about what's this team going to look like three, four years down the road. The one thing you don't want to have happen, although if you win two Super Bowls, you can't complain, but you know, most teams in this position want to continue to stay relevant. Um, the Bucks are perilously in perilous danger here of becoming horribly irrelevant uh, in a year if they were to lose Jason Pierre-Paul and Dominican Sue, Tom Brady, Rob Gronkowski, Antonio Brown. Just go through the list of guys who are older and you know pretty much nearing the end of their careers. If these guys suddenly all hit the wall and you don't win another Super Bowl, well, you won one, which is great, but where are you now if Brady does retire, if Gronkowski finally retires, Jason Pierre-Paul hangs it up, Dominican Sue hangs it up. You have to think beyond this year, and I think the Bucks are going to do that this year, certainly more than they did a year ago. Tom Brady, they signed they, uh, Brown they re- uh, today, uh, right, Roy? What, yeah. what was that, uh, Roger? I, I said they've signed Antonio Brown, $3 million with a possible uh, $5 million in uh, uh, bonuses. Yeah, and I'm not surprised. Look, uh, I think everybody questioned what the Bucks were, you know, what their game plan was when they signed Antonio Brown the first time around a year ago. It was clear that that was something that Tom Brady wanted. And they acquiesced and said, okay, you know what, Tom, we're, we're going to give you this one. Um, it's got you, but you got to make it work. And you know what? They made it work. Uh, there's no reason not to give Antonio Brown another shot. He was a, part of, a big part of this team a year ago. Um, if you're bringing in young uh, wide receivers, you know, who, you don't want them learning, learning how to, you know, handle themselves off the field from Antonio Brown, but 
in terms of learning how to run a route, in terms of learning how to, you know, make a cut, uh, he's about as good as there is. So um, you certainly want him uh, helping those guys. And, uh, again, he was, a, he was a big part of it. So not surprised he's here, not surprised uh, he's back under contract for another year. And, you know, hopefully he's uh, as good a soldier this year as he was a year ago. If he is, uh, the Bucks will uh, be very happy with the, with the signing, and uh, they have every right to be. Look, there's, uh, as you said, uh, Roger, there's five-plus million dollars worth of incentives out there for uh, Antonio Brown to, to stay on the right path here and, uh, you know, get another Super Bowl ring. It's something he, he struggled to do, and uh, he struggled to stay uh, with teams. Maybe he actually finally found a home here in Tampa. Tommy? Roy, is it possible that, well, that, that uh, they had to re, re, uh, redo uh, Cameron Breach's contract to extend it? to be able to come up with this extra cash. You know, whether people know it or not, they're, they're really strapped with, for, for, for money right now. The, the fact that the Manchester uh, is, is draining them, actually uh, they've got a big nut to be paid at uh, the end of this season uh, with very few people in the stands, if any. Um, so they had to re- redo a couple uh, contracts just to get the money to pay this guy. Is it possible that that, uh, that he's going to? Now I know if they just settled his uh, his one lawsuit, but is it possible that he's go, they're going to be able to keep him controlled if he's not living with Tom Brady? Well, you know what? I'm sure that's a that's a question that was asked of Antonio Brown, and uh, you know that was certainly uh, discussed in, inside. Again, you, you barely had the money to get this guy under contract. Um, look, I'm not. First of all, I'm not surprised that guys are getting restructured. Um, we know about Cameron Bray. We're probably going to find out about Mike Evans. Uh, there's probably going to be two or three guys that get restructured here before we're all said and done. Um, and uh, they've already restructured uh, Donovan Smith. So <clears throat> you're going to see several guys, I think, with uh, big tickets get uh, get restructured here um, to make this work for next season. Right. Um, but at the same time, uh, you know, before you go through all that and sign Antonio Brown, you've got to have every guarantee and every assurance that mm-hmm. uh, he's going to be the player he was a year ago and he's going to be the, the guy he was a year ago away from the field and that he's not going to cause any problems uh, in the locker room, off the field, or anything else. There's no guarantee with Antonio Brown. You really never know what you're going to get. Um, right. But you would hope that the Buccaneers, uh, before they go there, are going to have a little bit better idea and, uh, of where he is uh, mentally. Mm-hmm. Uh, before they make that deal, so um, again, no guarantee, but and they'll fi- they'll figure out a way to make some money. Um, sure. That I don't think there's a concern there. Uh, you know, they're they're not going to have a lot of money going to the draft picks this year because uh, they're picking at the bottom. You know, so automatically uh, your first round pick's going to cost you a couple million less. Uh, certainly, and it goes you know the scale slides all the way down to the last pick. So. Um, they, right now, they'll have to have enough money to, to make sure that they've got um, – <clears throat> they can sign their draft picks, but uh, there'll be a couple of guys cut here and there that uh, uh, allow them to get under the cap. They'll figure it out. That's what, uh, that's what uh, your, uh, your cap team is all about. Tommy? Well, I think about the draft, Roy, and everybody out there. They're going to take the best available, best available player out there. Now, but look at, look, look at, the, look at like Kenny Anderson, for example – came back, you know, to small colleges and that. And, you know, I think this draft is going to be another great draft, another great production. And that's all it is in the big show. Not like the old drafts of, of years ago, Roy, but 
I, I think the Bucks and the, and the Eagles and Browns and whoever, you know, just take the best player book, player book, you know, available, and then they go to training camp and then, and whoever cut, gets cut to training camp, that's that's your key for the season when you think about it. You know, just the just get the you know just get these guys signed under contract, see what they look like, see what they play. You know, that's amazing, but it's gonna be a big production tomorrow night and. It's going to be fun for all the football fans, Buck fans, Eagles, and Browns to, to see what's going on, see what their team will bring. And also the New York Jets. <laughs> I can't put that in there, too. <laughs> what their fans are doing. Yeah. You know, you know, it's interesting. You know, Tommy, I mean, it is, yeah, it's an old cliche, take the best player available. And I think, right. you know, where right. they're sitting right now, as it is right now, certainly, you know, that's that's the, the motto for Tampa, more than likely. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm sure it's probably, it should be the motto for the Eagles. They need everything. But it's clearly not the motto for some of the, you know, three, four, five of the teams at the top of the draft. Um, right. Look, it's, it's, it's got to be, you don't, the best player in the draft is probably Trevor Lawrence. So Jacksonville's doing the right thing. But, you know, yeah, is everybody else mm-hmm. behind them necessarily doing the right thing? And are they taking the best no. player, uh, you know, at, at two, three, four, five, six? We'll wait and see how it all shakes out, but my guess is no. I, and I may be wrong about this. I, I, you know, I I haven't studied the quarterback class that closely, mm-hmm. um, but all I know is that I'm seeing names that didn't necessarily impress anybody, you know, a year ago during the college season. Yeah. Um, you know, mm-hmm. guys that had one or two good good games, guys that had, you know, guys that haven't played in you know in a year. It, it's it's just it's really hard to fathom that teams are putting so much stock uh, in this draft on quarterbacks. And now maybe part of it is the fact that it's really more of a crapshoot this year than ever. It really is because because guys opted out a year ago. You didn't get to see, you're not seeing as much tape on them. Um, Mm -hmm. In a lot of cases, your best uh, gauge of these players is when they were sophomores or juniors. Um, and, And so it's hard to really know. And maybe in that, thinking that way, maybe the guys are saying, you know what? Hey, I don't know if this defensive end here, this cornerback that I, I'd like to take more at, at six than, than the other guy is really is going to be as good as this quarterback. And you know what? We're going to need a quarterback. Mm-hmm. And I think this kid's probably based on what we know, this kid's got as much of a chance of making it and making it big as this other player that we, you know, certainly we need to fill that position. But if I can get a quarterback and, you know, let's go for it. Why not? So, uh, it, it, it's. I think you, you may have between 32 teams, you might have 17 different philosophies this year on how to actually go about grading the players and selecting the players um, because it's, uh, it's it's a year unlike any other in a long, long time in terms of uh, what you're getting in terms of evaluation of the players. Well, I'll tell you, Roy, a lot of, a lot of people feel the, uh, the best player in the entire draft other than Lawrence, possibly, is Kyle Pitts, a generational uh, tight end out of Miami. And, of course, he's out of the Philadelphia area, uh, Abington High School, and then Bishop uh, Wood High School. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, we've seen him down here in Florida for a couple of years, and he's as good as there is. There's no doubt about it. I mean, he's really a talent, and uh, I, I agree. I mean, if, 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 if I would not argue with anyone who says he's the best player in this draft. Personally, I, mean, I think Trevor Lawrence is. Um, he, certainly he's, he's got, you know, more experience in, in, in bigger settings than, uh, than Pitts, but, uh, and he's a quarterback. Um, I think he's the best player in the draft. But if somebody were, were trying to argue that Kyle Pitts is, 
couldn't argue. I mean, I think Kyle Pitts made Kyle Trask a year ago. And, um, you know, I think that's why Kyle Trask is there. There was, there's been some talk here and there about, you know, could he slip into the second round? Could he slip into the first round? I don't think he's that kind of a talent. Um, but, uh, you know, the reason people think he could be is because he was surrounded by some pretty good players uh, out on the wings. And uh, guess what? Kyle Pitts was one of them. And uh, that kid's ready to play in the NFL. I think Roger, I think he's a perfect target for, for Atlanta right now. Um, I, do I really do. I, if I'm Atlanta, um, I'm doing everything I can to make sure I've got him. I, that's, that's the guy I'm targeting if I'm Atlanta. I'm with you. Well, the one thing uh, last year they always talked about was all their tackles. We got three tackles. So whether you, no matter which one of the tackles you pick, you're going to be successful. Well, it did turn out quite as successfully as they thought it was going to. No, you're right. And, and you know, look, Tampa, look, every team says this. But when Tampa got uh, Tristan Wirfs last year and he was the third one, they were saying, hey, that's the one we wanted all along. They always say that. But you know what? They might have been right. <laughs> <laughs> because he's the one who started, played 16 games, uh, mm-hmm. had rookie of the year caliber, uh, you know, talent, and, and and played at the highest level uh, for a Super Bowl champion. And you know, he did as good a job as anybody of keeping Tom Brady uh, upright and uh, protected. So, um, and he's only going to get better. I still think there's an opportunity for him to move to the left side. Um, I think that could happen. Right now, they're going to keep him at the right side, and well, they should. Uh, no reason to move him at this point. But, you know, a year from now, he could be moving again. So uh, we'll see how it goes. But you're right. Uh, that's Again, that's just how that's how the draft goes. Sometimes, you you know, you, you take the third of a, of a group of guys that you think is, are going to all be pretty good anyway, and it turns out that the third was better than the first and second all along. So um, that's what teams hope for when they, uh, when they end up uh, in those situations. Roger? Yeah, well, yeah, the uh, I agree with that, uh, Roy, and uh, I I think this year they say that next year will be a better draft than this year. I mean, with more talent, and I guess if no other reason that uh, you know, they uh, because of uh, more fans, more uh, scouts uh, being able to check players out, uh, it'll change things. I did want to uh, tell you that uh, they've announced uh, in Atlanta that uh, Mercedes-Benz Stadium for the United will can be at full capacity. Hmm. Yeah, that's great. That's that's good news. Uh, look, every day, as I said, at the top uh, of, the, of the segment, guys, uh, we're getting closer and closer to, you know, having the uh, herd immunity that we're looking for and people getting vaccinated right. and opening up uh, all the buildings and everything. And, um, you know, I don't know if that – they can open up the roof there, right, uh, Roger? Yes, they can. Yep. Yeah, I wonder if they might do that uh, when they open it up to 70% or full capacity. It would make sense, sense to me to do that if, you know, if that helps, uh, helps uh, you know, uh, rise the safety level a little bit. But, um, yeah, I, look, we're getting very close to all that happening. I, I think by the fall for sure, by the time football season starts, I'll be, I'll be surprised if we're not back to, you know, what used to be semi-normal for everybody. Um, I, certainly in football, I think you're going to see full stadiums uh, you're going to see, uh, and you're going to see teams playing on a regular basis, unlike a year ago. And and because of that, yes, um, next year's draft. Uh, oh, yeah, they're saying uh, talent-wise, is it better than this year's draft? I don't know that anybody. I don't know that we know that. Um, but one thing we do know is we're pretty sure of at least is that uh, there's going to be a better opportunity to to scout players 
and evaluate them. And, and just that, based on that alone, you, you know you're going to have a little bit better uh, situation uh, involved in the draft next year. So we'll see how it all shakes out. Well, the one thing that they're sure of is a heck of a lot of quarterbacks are going to be drafted now. <laughs> well, they're all going to go in the first round, or what's going to happen? I mean, you're talking about eight deep, possibly, at the quarterback position. So, uh, you know, I don't know whether next year will be anywhere close to that, but they've got a full house this year. <laughs> yeah, they do. And, again, I, it's, I, I think, to be honest, again, because, look, the league is, is so overrated quarterbacks for years. There's no doubt about it. But – at the same time, I think it's 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 probably the easiest position, you know, to, to gauge at this point to to evaluate. Um, you've got more tape on most of these quarterbacks than anybody else, uh, and you know if you if you like, uh, it's also a position where if you like the fundamentals and you can see that he's got the, you know, the smarts, um, it's it's pretty easy to, to to determine whether the guy can be successful. Still, having said that, you know what, four out of every five end up being bust. I mean, look, again, this is why I shake my head at at what's going to happen tomorrow night because, Mm -hmm. you know, it doesn't matter whether you took James Winston or uh, Marcus Mariota. It doesn't matter whether, you you know, who you took, uh, Trubisky or, or, you know, (laughs) whoever, you ended up picking the wrong one. I mean, one, like one quarterback a year, maybe two, usually make it and make it big. And sometimes right. it's the guy like Russell Wilson that you take in the third round, or sometimes it's the guy that everybody else, uh, every every other team that wanted a quarterback passed on, like uh, Patrick Mahomes, and you take a guy for his arm and let him sit for a year. It, it's it's really amazing. Tom Brady. Yeah, right. Brady. Yeah, I mean, exactly. So uh, teams have moved up and, and put themselves in position to get quarterbacks, and it hasn't worked out. <laughs> And it usually works. It usually doesn't work out. That's that's the bottom line. Is it usually doesn't work out? But here we go again. Uh, as you said, Don, we got five, six, eight teams here ready to do the same thing yet again. And um, you know what? Uh, I wish them all good luck. I uh, hope it all works out for them. But <laughs> chances are, five of those six quarterbacks taken in the first round tomorrow night, if it's if it's six, uh, aren't going to make it, and they're going to be flushed out of the system within three years. Tommy, finish off the first half hour, Tommy. <laughs> I just, I just Roy, get some the, bad uh, news. Your cubbies are down to the Braves, four nothing, second inning. Yeah, and, and it's about to be uh, five or six to nothing. It's it's not looking good for the Cubs. So, uh, guys, I'll leave you with that. Thanks for having me as always. I appreciate Have it. Have a great, great. Week, Roy. You're the next best. week we'll Thank break you. down. Uh, next thing, next week we'll break down what the Eagles and Bucks did in the draft. You can't forget exactly. about the Browns. How about the Browns? And the, and and the, the Browns. Falcons. Yeah. And the Falcons. <laughs> All right, you guys, take care. Take Thanks, care, Roy. Well, Thanks, we're going to do a lot more on, on football, on the National Football League, uh, certainly the draft coming up tomorrow, which we spent the whole first half hour talking about. We'll continue to talk about that. Billy Wardell is going to join us, and uh, Bill Berge is going to join us in this half hour. Mm-hmm. So we'll have a chance to talk about a number of things with, Certainly, Billy Wardell has been a part of our lads for years and years and years as a pro scouting combine. Also, one of the great talk show hosts in the city of Philadelphia. And uh, yes. a guy that we, we've had on the show many, many times. So, Billy, kick in and tell us about this Philadelphia Eagle team. What are they going to do? Oh, is, is this Don Henderson? Yeah. The one and only. <laughs> Mr. Don Henderson. You know, hey, hey, Frank and, and Roger, yes, let me tell you something. 
you try to get in touch with Don Henderson. One day he's at Sawgrass. The next day he's at Myrtle Beach. Uh, next day he's at, at uh, Greenbrier. The next day he's at Augusta. I mean, you try to get in touch with Don Henderson, I'd have a better shot at reaching the president. <laughs> and he locks phones out, Bill. He locks people out. Don't forget, Bill. We've got to get you down to get started. I just want to say one thing, Bill. What time will you be on tomorrow morning on with Angelo Cataldi in the morning team? 7, 7, 7 a.m., not p.m., 7 a.m. 7 a.m. I'll be listening. Let everybody in the country know. As Joseph, uh, you know, uh, the, uh, uh, as, as has been said by Stephen A. Smith, best sports uh, talk morning show in America. And Billy's going to be on it tomorrow. That's great. Congratulations. Well, Billy, tell us about these Eagles. Let's get started with let's get started with the draft and uh, give these listeners something to pick out on the Philadelphia Eagles, first of all, before we jump to other teams. Well, let's look at the Philadelphia Eagles. This is a very important draft. The next two drafts, they've got to secure at least nine starters and, and four or five contributors who will eventually turn into starters. So this is the... the, the uh, the, the, the pressure is on Howie Roseman and his staff to produce. This is an aging football team. He's got to really, really hit home runs in, in every phase. He's got to get a defensive end. to can put pressure on the quarterback. He needs a linebacker. He needs a safety. He needs a corner. He, he needs more help on that offensive line. He could use another running back. This team, every place you look on that roster – that has to be upgraded. So, mm. Howie Roseman, after the Super Bowl, decided draft picks are, you know, they're a dime a dozen. He had 10 <laughs> picks in two years. And that will kill you. That will kill your franchise when you, mm. and if you don't hit on those picks, you're in big, big trouble. Wow. And he, they are. That's it. What a, uh, Bill, uh, what I, do you think? Uh, you th- do you uh, sense that I talked about it earlier? They were at six, traded and uh, went up to twelve, and now there's a lot of speculation, as you know, that uh, they want to. Uh, how he wants to get down uh, in front of the Giants and the Cowboys. Do you think that's going to happen? It's going to be tough. The price is going to be. Uh, teams know that how he wants to get up there, so they're going to they're going to hold them up, and the price yeah. of playing poker is going to be very very costly. For the Eagles, the Eagles can ill afford to go give away a third-round pick this year. They can ill afford mm. to do that because one player is not going to change the, 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 the structure of this franchise right now. This team has to get players. As I mentioned before, it's an aging football team. If I'm Howie Roseman right now, I've got Fletcher Cox, who's on the flip side of his career. There's five teams in the NFL looking for defensive tackles. And they are teams that are in the playoff hunt, legitimate playoff teams. Tampa Bay, the Tennessee Titans, the Green Bay Packers, the Cleveland Browns, and the Indianapolis Colts. All those teams be a defensive lineman, and this year is not a great year in the draft to get a defensive lineman. So if I'm Howie Roseman, here's what I do. I ask for a third-round pick in 2022 and it converts to a second-round pick if he, if he makes certain incentives. 
Somebody, let's let's go back to the quarterback position, which they fouled up so badly last year. And then before they even go to camp or before the summer unfolds, they say, well, we're not too sure about the quarterback that we got that we got rid of our first-round quarterback to put in position. Well, how do you do that? And then who's going to be the backup quarterback? Well, Don, here's the deal. Howie Roseman made one of the most ridiculous statements I've ever heard. And, of course, he regretted making that statement. We're a quarterback factory after they drafted Jalen Hurts. All right? Give me a break. All right? There's no fa- – the only factories I know, they produce tires and steel and all that. Right. But, you know, the problem is that Howie has a high regard for himself. And the other mm. problem, which is also seek, is seeping into football like it did baseball and basketball and even hockey, mm. analytics. A lot of analytics people have their hand on the draft, uh, catch radius and all these different uh, things they throw out there. If you can play the game, you can play the game. I don't worry about catch radius or this radius or that radius. I worry about playing the game of football. You know, there, there's intangibles when you play a game. I mean, when you look mm-hmm. at Larry Bow and baseball and Pete Rose and people like that, in today's game, they would be overlooked because they don't fit the analytics, and they're ruining every sport in America. Yep. Right. Tommy? Hey. Well, I agree with you, Bill. Congratulations on being on that show tomorrow. Thank you for coming on our show. Um, Thank you. Up there. It's just, a, it's just, it's just a, the draft. You know, it, they make so much of this draft up there, this and that. But it's time that all these NFL teams are going to take best of valuable players. And they don't know how good this kid's going to be or where the kid's going to be. I mean, is it the most significant part about the NFL season the week at, I mean, the week before the regular season, whether who cut what player, so the other players can, the other teams can pick these players up. No question about it. But you mentioned the draft. Fifty percent right. of first rounders don't make it. Fifty percent right. do not make oh. an impact in the NFL. That's a big, big right. number. So you better oh. know the A, B, C, Ds of every player you draft. Right. And you're right, Frank. At the end of training camp, there's a lot of pretty good players, especially good players from teams that are winning, like Kansas City, like yep. Tampa Bay. There'll be good players out there available to sign. Mm-hmm. I'll tell you, Reed's made a couple of big moves in the offseason for a guy that had no space on, on a salary cap. I mean, he's picked up some players that, uh, the, I mean, the, let's face it, he couldn't run the football in a Super Bowl after he had such a great season. Well, he's trying to rectify that before they ever get to the draft. Wow. Well, let me say, the, the, the selection, when they made that trade for Orlando Brown, made a lot of sense. Orlando Brown stated, I don't want to be a right tackle. I want to be a left tackle. He filled in for Ron, Ronnie Stanley last year in Baltimore. Did a very, very solid job. But you're right. Andy Reid has got to start running the football. And if you run the football, you put so much pressure on the defense because the defensive backs can't cheat. The linebackers have to play it honest, even though they de-emphasize the linebacking position. So if you run the ball effectively, that opens it up for the passing game. And I think Andy Reid realizes, i got to run the ball more. I can't throw, 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 throw. When you chuck the ball 40 times a game, remember Woody Hayes' old comment? Three things happen when you throw the football, and two are bad, an incompletion or an interception. 
I subscribe <laughs> to that theory because if you throw the ball all over the lot, you're taking a big chance. I know the game is different because they don't let you touch a receiver. You breathe on the receiver, the flag's coming out, the whole deal. But I think if you run the ball and you can wear down the opposing defensive front, you're going to win a lot of games in this NFL. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. He, he lives by that. I'll tell you that right now. He believes the same thing. There are three things that can happen, as you just indicated, and Daryl Royal lives by that by that motto. And Roger, you're up. Well, I was just going to say, and it takes time off the clock, okay? The, uh, the, uh, so that if you have uh, an opponent uh, that uh, scores in a hurry, uh, this takes uh, some time away from them. But I'll tell you, Bill, the Eagles are the same way because, uh, you know, Laurie loves to uh, throw the ball with his influence that's on that team, and we'll have to see what Seriani uh, does. Well, you're right. I mean, and that's the problem. When owners get involved in personnel decisions, it's a very slippery slope, very slippery. Look, they have the right to know who you're picking. They have the right to know who you're going to sign because it's, your, it's his money. But and when you get involved in personnel decisions, because you're not out there evaluating the players, I mean that that's the problem. And when owners put their hand, uh, their fingerprints all over the personnel department, you are going to have problems. I mean, yep. I'll harken back to George Steinbrenner. When George Steinbrenner was in exile, Gene Stick Michael took over for the the Yankees, and they really prospered because they weren't giving away a lot of their young talent. They decided, mm-hmm. hey, we've got to develop young talent, and we'll be successful. And what happened? Four World Series. How about that? Very true. Really, the division's wide open uh, for, the, for the Philadelphia Eagles or anybody else in the East, but it looks like they're getting very positive reports on the Dallas quarterback. Uh, there was a big story today in, in uh, one of the papers. I forget which one I read that said that he's uh, way ahead of expectations. So uh, they've got to hope that's true. Absolutely. And, and again, the division, if you look at the division, the Giants are a better team now. They get Saquon Barkley back. Uh, okay. they, they added some wide receivers. Uh, they've upgraded their team. The Washington yeah. football team, Ryan Fitzpatrick, is going to be there as, as the guy that makes the transition. If Washington drafts a quarterback, in the first round. And then, of course, you have the Dallas Cowboys. As you mentioned, uh, Dak Prescott is ahead of schedule. They'll want to they'll make sure that they run the ball and they have three outstanding receivers. So they, they, they put a lot of pressure. I think right now, right now, the Eagles are the fourth best team in the division. That means last, mm-hmm. last, last, mm-hmm. last. And the Eagles no. are counting on guys like Jason Kelsey, 34 years old, Brandon Brooks coming off two major surgeries, and Lane Johnson, another guy coming off a major surgery. They're hoping, hoping that these guys hold up. Remember, once you hit 30-31 in the NFL, your, your talents start to de- decrease, and especially if you have a history of injuries, you're in big, big trouble. Billy, let me hold you over a little bit because Bill Berge's coming on, and I know you and Bill are great friends. He's Bill on your Bill. show quite a bit as well, and uh, he's, he's down here. He's, he's, he's down here in Florida, and when he, he, I know he just heard you say that the Philadelphia Eagles are going to finish in the cellar, 
Bill, welcome, welcome again to the program. And a comment or, a comment or two from the, one of the best defensive players in the game. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate that and appreciate you having me on the show and especially uh, trying to follow up uh, behind Bill Warndell because that's not really that tough of an act to follow. <laughs> you know I got, almost had you out the door in Philadelphia many, many years ago. And Vermeil said he would trade his wife before he'd trade Bill Berge. But they could have got a one of the three of Don McCauley from the Baltimore Colts. Is that right, Mr. Berge? That's correct. You got it, buddy. What is your, before we uh, jump off the topic, what is your observation of where the Eagles are right now and, and what they've got to do? You know something, I think the Eagles are going to struggle uh, this year. Got a lot of draft choices. I think it's going to be imperative that, uh, you know, they start drafting real good. But right now, I, I think it's, I, I hope I'm wrong, but I just think it's a 500 team. Uh, Going into the season, I'd like to know what Billy Warndell thinks. Bubba, if they win six games this year, have a parade down Broad Street. Okay. (laughs) The 6-11 for this football team. They've got too many question marks. And like your old boss, the guy that drafted you out of Arkansas State, Paul Brown once said, they'll be tolerated until they can be replaced. The Eagles just tolerate so many guys, let guys get too old, and they, they have to replace these guys. And I agree, Bill. They've got to hit a lot of home runs this year in the draft. I expect if Howie Rosen to be successful this year, he needs three starters by the end of this year and two solid contributors who turn into starters next year. And the following year, he better get five starters and three contributors, they better have nine or eleven, nine to eleven starters over the next two years out of the draft. If not, it's a failure. Well, you got to keep your fingers crossed and hope that uh, our boy uh, Howie Roseman is going to do the right thing and drafts uh, the right people. And um, I know that he is doing his homework. I just hope it's the right homework. Well, Roger, you know, I'm going to tell you something, Don. Let me no, let me interject no, ahead, one Bill. thing. Let me, let's look at the Super Bowl, the great job that Bruce Arians, Todd Bowles did. And who were the key players in that Super Bowl? Linebackers, Levante David and Devin White. They were the difference in that game. And I cannot believe the National Football League and some of these super geniuses de-emphasized the linebacker. If Bill Berge played today, he would be just like a Devin White or Levante David, a difference maker. Well, you know something, uh, the linebackers almost become uh, obsolete, and it kind of makes me a drop of a a tear down my cheek uh, because of it. Uh, You're absolutely right. uh, And, uh, you know, uh, to replace the the linebackers, now you got the hybrid uh, safety guy that maybe weighs uh, 220, 225, and that's the kind of guy that uh, you're going to go with. So a guy like me, 6'3", 245, 250, uh, they're no longer going to be around. Roger? Why is that? Yeah, Bill, why is that? I, I, that was one of the questions, and, and both Bills. Why is that? Because that was going to be my question. Why are, are the linebackers, not only with the Eagles, but may, uh, the Eagles really, uh, bad. Why is it that they've been de-emphasized so much? 
Well, I, I, I'm going to answer it first, and then I'll let uh, Billy Warndell uh, jump on, on the situation. The game of pro football, it's really become a, a passing type of a game. Back uh, in the days when I played, it could be third down and three, and that ball would be absolutely run. We're coming after you. You try to stop us probably 90% of the time. Now it can be third and one, and 80% of the time they're going to pass the darn ball, and that's the way it is. So I, I guess that's why the linebackers are really being de-emphasized. Well, that, that's a good point. And, and Bill brought up a very good point. The undersized linebacker, 220, and I'll go back to what I said initially. If I'm coaching a football team or a general manager of a football team, I notice a lot of teams will use that hybrid guy, and I'm going to pound that rock right at him. I'm going to have a fullback, and I'm going to have a running back that goes right after that 220-pound hybrid, and I'm going to gain five, six yards every play. Guaranteed. Well, you know, you, you talk about uh, Paul Brown. Paul Brown always mm-hmm. had that big running back. He had uh, the Booby Clark. He had uh, Marion Motley. He had Jim Brown. He yeah. always had a big running back in the backfield because uh, he really wanted to, to run the rock as much as he possibly could. And today... Mm-hmm. Well, Bill, I- I'm sure if today, if that would have been the case, he'd really still keep running it. Right. Bill, I think one of the things we talked about in the first hour of the show, too, maybe just before you joined us, and that was that's what happened to Kansas City in the Super Bowl. They had a great team, but they could, the, the linebackers were, as Billy indicated, outstanding from a defensive standpoint for the Buccaneers, but he couldn't run the football, and that really put him in a hole. Yeah, it did, and... Uh... I'll tell you what, uh, Kansas City, I I do remember uh, those days when uh, you had a a great uh, middle linebacker by the name of Willie Lanier who could uh, play the run and play the pass uh, equally well. Uh, Who was the other outside linebacker that was so good, Bill Warndell? Bobby Bell. Bobby Bobby Bell Bell. out of Minnesota. My my kid brother played uh, with Bobby Bell. As a matter of fact, he backed up. Bobby Bell, and Bobby Bell was just absolutely outstanding uh, also. But uh, those are uh, the players from uh, yesteryear, and they're not the players uh, uh-huh. that they're going to have around here uh, now. Really? Well, you know, I just look at the game today. As I mentioned before Bill came on, these nerds, these, uh, these guys from MIT and Harvard, they're analytics, <laughs> and they're talking about that. Uh, catch radius and that radius and this radius. If you looked at Bill Berge out of Arkansas State, he was a devastating player. He he knocked people around like a 10-pin in a bowling alley. And it didn't take a genius to figure out that Bill Berge was going to be an outstanding player. And the thing is that these guys are running football today. Paul Brown, Vince Lombardi, Bill Walsh, Buddy Ryan, mm-hmm. Everyone, Bill Parcells, the, 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 the guys who are deceased, they're rolling over in their grave, and Bill Parcells is getting more gray hairs because this is not the way the game is <laughs> supposed to be played. It's supposed to be played with people who evaluate talent, not guys yep. who sit in a room and, and come up with these numbers, you know, this, this guy at this, this position, that position. 
it's ridiculous. But Billy, Billy, I, Billy, wait a second. Every one of these, every one of these uh, schools that no. they run in the off season, what are they talking about? How can how high can this guy jump? <laughs> I mean, that's what it's built for now. <laughs> you know, the the bookkeepers, the bookkeepers want to know. They, they don't know whether the guy really wants to play football or not. Oh, you know something? I want to chime in here. You know, as, okay. as far as uh, football players, you can uh, you can put a stopwatch on them. You can see how fast they can run. You can see how high they can jump. You can see right. how much uh, you can bench press. You can do all of these things and uh, come out with some kind of a conclusion. But I'm telling you, the biggest thing, and a lot of people don't really realize this, is how much heart does a, a player really have? And if a person is really hungry, I have seen number one round draft choices become absolute bust, and I have seen free agents, a guy like Harmon Edwards uh, from San Diego State, excel in the game. It's just mm-hmm. who really has the heart and who really wants to play and who really wants to get after it. And that's why. And how, do you ju- how do you judge that from the outside, Bill? In other words. Uh, we're talking about the draft tomorrow night. Now, hey, all you these can't really. That's the crapshoot right there. That's the uh, mm-hmm. that's the thing that you don't know. That's the uh, the, the variable that uh, is out there, and you can't really zero in on it. Uh, these these quarterbacks. Uh, I, I know that there's going to be four or five of them in the, the top ten, and uh, I just want to know which one really has the juice inside of himself to want to go on out and excel and really achieve and accomplish and uh, make things happen. And I don't know, I don't know uh, who can do that. You know, Bill, you bring up a very good point. And the guy that drafted you, Paul Brown, he drafted mm-hmm. a safety or corner uh, from USC. But the guy was a pretty good center fielder on the USC baseball team. I'm talking about Marvin Cobb. Remember him? Sure do. And, and he had a very successful career. Because Paul Brown said, this guy is an athlete, and he plays well. He understands the game. He wants to be better than he is, and that's what you want to look for, a guy who wants to work and be better. Look, Mike Singletary, 5'11", 220, would not make it. Sam Mills, 5'9", 220, would not make it. All right, another guy, Zach Thomas, 5'11", 235, would not make it today. Doesn't meet up to the measurables. Put those medicals in a toilet and flush it. But you know something, when it comes right down to it, the the secret, you got to get your guys, you got to put them together and hope that they uh, really mesh. And during the year, you've got to win, Bill, all of the games you're supposed to win, correct? Yes. And Mm -hmm. you got to steal a game here or there, and uh, you got to get hot at the end of the season. But the bottom line is, you've got to stay healthy, and if you can put all of that stuff together. You'll probably be there in January uh, going someplace. Roger? Well, I was just getting back to the linebackers because I've always been a fan of linebackers. I think how important they are. And I look at uh, uh, your group, Bill, Frank LeMaster, et cetera, and then I look at uh, when Buddy Ryan was there, uh, Byron Evans, Seth Joyner. Okay, and uh, really just uh, a great linebackers. And then, you know, even with Andy, there, you know, we had some. But, and, the, and then when you get to the secondary, the last decent uh, 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 
what I was going to say, corners, okay, was probably Lido and Sheldon, Lido Shepard and mm-hmm. Sheldon Brown. And they, they followed uh, Troy Vincent and Bobby Taylor. But I, <laughs> have the Eagles really had any good corners uh, since, since uh, you know, Brown and Shepard? Bill Warndell, you can so. answer that. I, I don't think so. I, I really, even in the Super Bowl run, they didn't have any great corners there. I mean, Patrick Robinson was a, a free agent pickup, but there weren't any great corners. I mean, difference makers, uh, a guy that you'd say, wow, th- this guy's a game changer. They had to go out and trade for Darius Slay. Avante Maddox is undersized. He's more of a slot corner, and they have not had a successful run of corners. I cannot think of any corner that I'm, I'm wowed by in this Eagles secondary. Well, i got to tell you, Bill, you were talking about Paul Brown. He would always say before every game that we had in Cincinnati, now just remember, guys, it's what's up front that counts. And that means yep. that the offensive and defensive line, if they do their job, then it's easier for the linebackers and the running backs to do their job. And then it's easier for the wide receivers and the defensive backs to make their, uh, their point uh, in the game. But Paul Brown, he would say this before every single game. And, guys, mm-hmm. just remember, it's what's up front that really counts. Wow. You right. about that. You win the yeah, game in the that. trenches. He's you, win the trench, you win the trench, you win the game. That's you're right. right. You're right. Football 101, guys, that's all it is. And, and Bill, welcome to the program. You know, like, you know, I remember, remember you played for the Bengals and that, and, and Paul Brown. You know, people don't realize that Art Modell did fire Paul Brown. You know, and Paul Brown, every time he played the Browns, he said, well, I'm gonna, we're going to beat these guys because I got fired by it. By Bart Modell and, and growing up out in Philadelphia and, and spent time in Cleveland, I said, how can Art Modell fire the, the mastermind of the NFL, Paul Brown, he brought all the, the Jim Brown, Marion Motley, he brought all the great running backs through the, through, the, through the Cleveland Browns and the old American Football League. And that's the messed up. How could he do that? It's, it's still beyond my mind. Bill, how could he fire a football genius, a football guru, and your old head coach in the late Paul Brown. Well, I think it goes way back to uh, Bill Warndell helped me. Uh, the running back. Uh, uh, Ernie Davis. Ernie Davis from uh, Syracuse. Uh, mm-hmm. yeah. He had, I believe he had a touch of leukemia or some kind of a cancer yeah, or something. Yes, Art Modell yeah, had told Paul Brown, uh, he was our first uh, pick. You've got to play him. We've got to get something out of him. And Paul Brown mm. wouldn't do it, and I believe that's where uh, he and Art Modell oh. uh, kind of differed. And uh, Paul Brown was let go, and for five years uh, he was uh, really without a job, going out to uh, mm. California, playing golf, and then all of a sudden that's when uh, when the Cincinnati Bengal thing opened up, that's when uh, he got back into the yeah. game. And so, Bertie, we look, at the, we look at, the, at the Philadelphia Eagles and the and – where they are in the division, but the division is really very wide open. It was the greatest division for the last, what, 20 years. Anytime you look at the National Football League, you start looking at the East first. Can they, can they all rebuild at the same time and bring it back? Personally, I think it's going to be uh, uh, a, a year or two uh, down the road before the uh, Eagles are going to get uh, their foothold again. 
Uh, to be honest with you, I don't know where Washington, Dallas, and New York is, but uh, uh, I believe that uh, the Philadelphia Eagles have got a ways to go. I, really? I concur with Bill. No question about it. They've got a long way to go. I mean, they've got age on that defensive line, Brandon Graham and Fletcher Cox. I mean, they've got age on the offensive line. I mean, they've got so many question marks on, on this team that, you know, I, I'm not optimistic about them uh, being a contending team until possibly 2023, to be Ooh. honest with you, because everything's got to fall into place. I mean, they've got to replace their center eventually, Kelsey. They've got to replace Brandon Brooks. They can he hold up for, for 17 games. Lane Johnson. Fletcher Cox is on the flip side of his career. Brandon Graham's on the flip side of his career. Uh, Darius Slay is 30 years old. How much more do you get out of him? I mean, this team has got a lot of question marks, guys. And who's going to be the quarterback of the future? Is it Jalen Hurts or is the quarterback not on this roster at this time? Mm, great question. Billy Wardell and Bill Berge, our guests here, along with Roger. Roger Hedler, of course, up there at Atlanta. Tommy Gilbert is in Tampa Bay. Uh, one thing I'd like to go back to, Bill, that's the Giants. I think Judge is following a little bit of your procedure. He's he's working on his uh, linebackers. He's working on a pass rusher. He he really believes that up front is what counts, and I think the Giants may be an improved team. Well, I'm nope. sure that they will, and uh, I, I believe that uh, Barkley uh, – is on uh, schedule to make a, a good comeback of the running back that uh, they got uh, from Penn State. And I, I've always thought that he was a great running back. You start putting the pieces together, keep your health, and, uh, you know, anything can happen. But I got a question for Bill Warndell. Uh, what's your take on our new coach, uh, Bill? Well, I haven't uh, got a real feel for this guy. I mean, he, he's a guy that really works very hard. He's very energetic. He's got some ideas, you know. But the one thing about the coach of the Philadelphia Eagles, how much input is Howie Roseman going to have? Howie Roseman should not have control of the 53-man roster, should not have a control of the 46 guys who dress on Sunday. That should be the decision of the head coach and his coaching staff. You played for Dick Vermeil. That would not happen with Dick Vermeil. He'd say to the, the, the general manager, I make the personnel decisions on Sunday, who's playing and who's not playing. And that's what the Crazy. one thing I worry about, Howie Roseman having too much input on who plays and who does not play. Buddy Ryan, the same way, Bill. No yes, I, I, do, uh, I do understand that. And what was it, Bill Parcells say, uh, said something like, uh, Hey, uh, if it's my party, uh, I want to uh, to bring uh, the presents, and uh, I don't want somebody else to bring the presents. No, no question. <laughs> yeah, I, I want to you have, you have to be the master. You got to be the master of your own ship. And uh, the right. guy that That's acquiesces, right. the guy that acquiesces to ownership or somebody else, he's a guy that's going to lose. No question. That's right. I mean, well, uh, I'll, I'll tell you, with with Buddy. If Norman Brayman had said anything about the, the the roster with Buddy, he would have told him to stay in the south of France. <laughs> well, again, the head coach and general manager have to be on the same page, and I think that's what deteriorated with uh, with Doug Peterson and Howie Roseman. 
They right. were not on the same page, and that's a dangerous, dangerous uh, recipe. And I, I just look when when Vermeil was here with Carl Peterson. Carl Peterson's job was at go out and procure talent. Dick Vermeil was mm-hmm. the coach that talent. Right. Well, I, I think yeah. going back to Roger, I think when Brandon owned the ball club and, and Buddy was the coach, uh, maybe you guys will disagree, but I. He had one or two key positions, and Brayman wouldn't spend the extra money. Uh, I think Buddy would have got that team to the Super Bowl at least two, at least two times. But he just he kept fooling around with the line. He kept fooling around with the defense. Was always one player short, one dominant player short, to, to really being a very, very successful coach in Philadelphia. The other problem with Buddy, he never had a strong offensive coordinator. Buddy used to tell right. Randall, make five big plays in a game, and we'll yeah. win. I'll depend on my defense. You have to have a great, a strong offensive coordinator to be successful. And you, you know that uh, Buddy uh, Ryan, his uh, defensive guys really loved him. Uh, I don't know how much the offense loved him, but I know that the defense was enamored by the guy. And with Dick Vermeil, both the offense and defense uh, loved him to death. And uh, we knew the the passion that he had for the game, and you know, a lot of times he, he wore his feelers on his uh, sleeve. But uh, Dick Vermeil was, as far as I'm concerned, the greatest coach that I ever played for, and uh, he was just uh, top notch. And uh, I will say that uh, about his players, he really cared about all of them. Let, Roger, let me, wow. a great uh, human being. Let okay, me interject one on Dick Vermeil, real quick. Dick Vermeil took over a program in 1976. If they would have applied back then for federal funds, they would have got them because that's how bad this team was. And he got the team to the Super Bowl with 19 undrafted players. He got the most out of every player on his roster, and that's a mark of a great coach, and it's an absolute farce perpetrated upon the National Football League that Dick Vermeil is not in the Hall of Fame. Yes, absolutely. And I remember when he first started out, I mean, it got to the point where if we would have won the coin flip before the game, we would have got a standing ovation from the fans in the the, uh, the stadium there. Uh, But uh, Dick Vermeil, he put it all together. And I believe Mm -hmm. from the time he started until the time he finished up, I know he had a lot of free agents, but – I believe from 1974 until the time we went to the Super Bowl in 1980, I think there was only eight or nine of us left. And uh, those eight or nine uh, players, we've got such a an unbelievable bond with uh, Dick Vermeil that any of us would do anything for any one of those guys. And I would have done, I would do anything in the world for Dick Vermeil. Oh, well, Bernie, once again, I want to thank you so much for I want to thank you so much for joining us in this segment of the show. And Billy Wardell, uh, I thank you for hanging over for another 15, 20 minutes. Uh, a great, a great uh, forty or thirty-five minutes of uh, football conversation, and I hope we can all get together me, again. Let, in me, the next... let me interject one thing, Don. Bill Bernie, Go I'm going to give you my, your your normal shot. I didn't know a football from a cantaloupe. Is that right? You know, so I'm going to throw one back at, uh, but this is a, a pat on the back because you know that we always joke and kid with each other so much. We did it on the planes. We did it at the hotels uh, when we were away and all of that. But, folks, there is nobody in football land 
that knows more about player personnel and the game itself than Bill Warndell. And I'll tell you what, I would like to see him as our new general manager because it would absolutely be an upgrade. There you go. I just let me just say one thing before they go, Don. Let me say one thing. I saw a survey and I thought it was very interesting. Uh, the way I read it, and, uh, you know, Bill Warndale, you may have seen this too. They uh, talked to a number of fans. They surveyed a lot of fans. And they came up that they like being a fan in the vet better than being in Lincoln Financial Field. Did you see that? Ooh. Wow. Well, I didn't see that. Well, Isn't didn't that see amazing? That. Yeah. yeah I, I thought that was an amazing statistic. Wow. Because the fans back then were real fans because today it's corporate America. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. And, and I thank you very much. Billy Wardell, best of luck tomorrow morning when you get over there. Thank you for that endorsement. Appreciate it. We'll talk to you soon and be good. Take care. Bye. Bye-bye. Okay. Mike Zizak is ready there when we talked about everything except the Washington, the Washington football team. So we'll start off in that direction tonight since the draft is tomorrow night. And, uh, Mike, what is Washington going to do in the first round tomorrow? Well, they could trade up. They could also trade back. They could also be at 19. They could take a wide receiver, an offensive lineman, a linebacker, a running back, a tight end, quarterback, or a defensive back. So at this point, your guess is about as good as mine. <laughs> Roger? Well, I, I think that answers the question uh, for not only the Washington football team, but many other teams, Mike. And uh, they, have they anything uh, going on there that uh, you can even talk about? That uh, Any speculation? There has been a lot of speculation over the last couple of days that they would try and move up in the draft and draft a quarterback. Now, I, there have been um, normally around draft time, the, the, the Redskins organization has more leaks than the Titanic, but they've been unusually tight-lipped uh, this year. So it's kind of hard to get a read whether this rumors about that they might trade up and try and draft the quarterback, whether that's coming from somebody within the organization who knows something or it's more speculation. You know, it's easy to say, oh, well, the Skins don't have a starting, you know, don't have a long-term quarterback. There are four that a lot of people like. Uh, if one of them falls, the Redskins would probably try it up and, and try and get them, and that makes a lot of sense. I think a lot of it's going to have to do with how the draft plays out in front of them. Also, they don't have a lot of trade ammunition hey, Bill, this year. The Redskins, I just want to call and say thanks. That was a great, great interview. The uh, Redskins have uh, the 19th the 50th, and the 51st pick, and those are the only two picks they have close to the top 50. Um, they have the 74th and the 82nd, so they only have four picks okay, inside the top 100. Hey, you know, so maybe, it might be a little bit hard for them to uh, get to a bidding war without forging the future okay. to pick we're, up. I think, I think Frank has his, his mic opened up because we're getting too much over conversation. Uh, go ahead. Go ahead, Mike. Yeah, so what I was saying was I, I don't know okay. if they could get to a bidding war, but certainly I think that they would do their due diligence if somebody um, started to fall, if uh, 
a um, Justin Fields, the uh, Trey Lance starts to fall out of the top ten, um, I think the Redskins would try and go up and get them. The problem, the other problem that they have, I think 10 picks, uh, 10, 11, and 12 are all the, are the Cowboys, the Giants, and the Eagles. So uh, that makes it even harder for them to move up. Um, the move, they made a move yesterday to pick up uh, Eric Flowers, the offensive guard from uh, Miami. Uh, to give them a little bit more offensive line depth, that may take the. But he's been on three different teams since he was drafted. He has been. Uh, he really kind of relaunched his career with the Redskins last year when he moved from tackle to guard, and that got him an eight million dollar contract with Miami. Um, they traded him back. I think that's more of a depth move for Redskins, maybe because they didn't think about. Target. They weren't going to necessarily target offensive line. Um, that was where a lot of uh, the, where the smart money was on with them going with them. It's just uh, it's going to be really interesting watching it. And a lot of it, like I said, I think is going to have to depend on how the draft plays out in front of them. If somebody falls into a range where they can get them, if one of those wide receivers or one of the quarterbacks starts to fall, I think they pull the trigger and move up. If not, I could see them potentially even trading back to get some more picks on the back end because they do need upgrades at a number of positions right now. Tommy? Yeah, the thing about that was so with all the drafts going on, we've been talking about all that all night, Mike, but it's just a crap. The draft's just a crapshoot right now. You might get lucky, pick a guy, but, you know, after when training camp's over, that's your decision time. Then you see who, what team – has cut what player do you need that team? Do you need that player for your team? That's how championships are won, you know, in the National Football League. Tomorrow's okay, great. You got drafted by a team. See what happens from there. But the real making of the NFL season is that week, you know, the last preseason game. What players are going to get cut from that team, and what player did those players be able to help us out there? So it's great to have it's great to have the NFL draft tomorrow night. So everybody should have a fun time watching it. It's always fun to watch the draft because everybody looks like a superstar on draft day. I don't care if you're the last player picked. You're Mr. Irrelevant. You end up, they have a highlight package that will make you look like a superstar. And everybody's excited because um, they, their team got this player or somebody like that. And everybody's mm-hmm. great. Everybody's an expert. Um, but you're right. You really don't know. I mean, you don't know. trading up to, to, to get a quarterback, I mean, that's a one in three proposition. I read somewhere today that Trey Lance will have thrown fewer passes in college than any potential first-round drafted quarterback in 40 years. That's, that's crazy. Well, I think that's the other thing, yeah, before we get to Roger, is that uh, you know Billy Wardell gave us a very, very interesting stat, one that I had never seen. That was that 50% of the first-round draft choice guys don't make it. Uh, I, did, I had never seen that, that stat before. Roger, you're up. Well, I was also going to say about uh, the quarterbacks that have been picked in uh, recent years in the first round, uh, there's only uh, a few, a very few, that uh, have really uh, succeeded uh, long term. And uh, I also wanted to to just uh, jump in about on a soccer note, uh, because uh, the the Union beat the uh, United uh, last night, uh, three to nothing. 
Uh, you know what, Mike? Uh, they announced today, you may have seen it, that uh, Mercedes-Benz Stadium is going to be at full capacity for the United games beginning in early yeah. May. Yeah, they were uh, – prior to the pandemic, uh, they were the 10th highest role of, on average attendance of any soccer team in the world, right? Um, they own the top 10 single-game records for MLS attendance. And uh, the Forbes list recently said that Atlanta was the most valuable franchise in uh, all of MLS. So, you know, getting them – fans back in there and hopefully they can get them in safely you know um that, that's a good deal for atlanta that, that that's only going to help the team it's only going to help the players and i think um they missed the fans last night against the, mm-hmm. the union um make no mistake about it though roger that was a huge win for the uh the philadelphia union picking up three goals three away goals in atlanta Basically means that they're in the uh, they fell on foot in the semifinals for the uh, Concacaf Champions League, which is the uh, tournament for the top teams in this region. No American team has ever won it, right? Even getting to the semifinals uh, for the Union would be an accomplishment. Um, but you know they'll be able to rest some players for the next leg, maybe pick up the win in the league, as long as they don't surrender four goals in Philadelphia, which, you know, if you don't show up and play the game, it's a possibility, but they're in really, really good shape. So great job for by the union getting that big win last night with the uh, hat trick from Casper Shabilka. Mike, mm-hmm. at, this point of the, at this point of the season, how do you rate? Give us uh, your top three, four, five teams that you think from top to bottom. Um, you know what? We are two weeks into an MLS season that normally takes me about five to figure out. Uh, the union. I'm not lying. I always do my MLS previews about five weeks into the season because that's how long it takes to even get a clue about what's happening. You know, take the union, for example. They go and um, get a pretty hard-fought uh, nil-nil draw away in Columbus uh, the first week of the season and then come back and – lose 2 nothing at home where they were unbeatable last year to enter Miami, who we don't know what to make of. Um, it's hard to get a real read on where that, where the MLS is going the first couple of weeks of the season. I know, I suspect Atlanta will be very good this year. Um, LAFC has uh, Carlos Vela back. I, I think they'll be another strong team. Um, you know, you kind of imagine that LA Galaxy will be good, but it's really it's it's hard to predict MLS um, early in the season. Tommy, mm. well, that's the thing about that soccer. You know, soccer's kicking in right now, but but Mike, what about hockey right now? Tampa Bay Lightning, the fourth straight, the fourth straight time they they're in the Stanley Cup Finals, and and that division, Washington and Pittsburgh are going down neck to neck right there, and. And, you know, who, who do you think is going to – you think Washington's got enough talent to overtake a Tampa Bay Lightning team if the fire started right now? You know, part of the problem is, Tommy, I haven't seen a lot of uh, Tampa Bay this season, oh. right, mm-hmm. because they're not playing, because their games aren't really broadcast up here. I've never tried right. to see them. I know that Tom, Tampa Bay has been a thorn in the side of Washington in the past because – 
Washington mm-hmm. typically has a problem with teams that play um, play with speed, right? And that's been uh, Tampa Bay's hallmark for the last couple of years. But I think yeah. they have a little bit of a different approach this year. Um, they're healthy. They're scoring goals, uh, them being, mm-hmm. being the Caps. You know, they just completed right. the three-game sweep of the New York Islanders. They're one point up wow. on Pittsburgh, but they also have a game in hand. So if they win right. that, it's three points. I would give them mm-hmm. the advantage because of that extra game, you know, because they're in first. They've got the points, and they've got an extra game to play. But who exactly. knows, you know, Pittsburgh was coming from no place, basically. They've been surging in the standings. Right. Um, it's hard to handicap when all they're doing is playing each other. I will say whoever gets out of the, the, the that particular conference, whoever survives those first two rounds before getting into the crossover uh, with the other mm-hmm. conferences, they're going to have earned it because those guys have beaten each other black and blue for the last couple of months. And um, mm-hmm. it's going to be basically a battle of attrition to get out of the first two rounds in that Eastern Conference. Exactly. The way, the way the team that Mike just – hold on. Mike, the team's been scaring me. It's been Carolina. I mean, they had the Lightning's number. They overtook the Lightning in the in the lead in their division. They, that, that's a team to be reckoned with in, in the playoffs, I think. Yeah, I mean, I, I think play, they just ended their playoff draft, so it looks like Carolina's going to the playoffs. I believe I read that someplace. Um, right. But, yeah, it, it, it's going to be interesting to see how this all shakes out once we get past the first two rounds of playoffs. Well, Carolina's good. Trust me, they're – they're a good hockey team right there. And, you know, we've got to watch out for Nashville, too, in, in this division. And, of course, Tampa Bay. And, that, and, and Florida, I think Florida's just having a fluke year again, again this year, guys. You just, they're up and down. But, but this Carolina team has impressed me for real. These guys are playing. These guys are playing for real. Roger? Yeah, I was just going to uh... – uh, ask Mike, uh, what about uh, the Nationals? Let's get to, uh, to a little baseball. Right now, the Braves are up over the Cubs seven nothing. What's the situation with the Nationals, in your opinion? They've had a, a rough start to the season. Uh, Eight and twelve. They're up over the Toronto Blue Jays right now. But they're going to be. If this trend continues, they're going to really face an interesting scenario. Um, the starting pitching has just been plum awful. Outside, Matt Scherzer got bombed last night by Vlad Guerrero Jr. I don't know if you saw that, but he had a couple of monster home runs off of Scherzer. But, I didn't see that. Outside, huh? What was that? Rob? I did see uh, that. Uh, yeah, yeah. He, he just nailed him. In fact, I think he hit one to almost the exact same side of the part of the park. Uh, off of the same Matt Scherzer slider that his father did like 10, 11 years ago. Uh, <laughs> it, it was kind of funny. Um, but they're, they're sitting at 8 and 12 right now. They're, their starting pitching has been pretty bad. Uh, Strasburg's back on the shelf. John Lester hasn't even made a start. We keep not knowing when he's going to rejoin the rotation. They've been going with a four man rotation, waiting for somebody to step up. Uh, Corbin has just been. Nobody knows what's wrong with him. And there's really nothing in the minor leagues at this point to bring up to reinforce him. Juan Soto's on the shelf. He's got an injury, so he's missed a couple of games. Um, If this 
trends in this continues to trend in this general direction, you know, and they're, they're still hovering around that. Let, let, let's call it, um, you know, about what two fifty mark, you know, or, or thirty three thirty mark in terms of win percentage. I think they're really going to have to look hard this summer at whether or not to trade Matt Scherzer because mm. their farm system is just absolutely destroyed. They don't have a single uh, tier really one good. or tier two prospect in the entire uh, farm system. All of their prospects are either you know, Juan Soto, Victor Robles, um, Luis Garcia, who we see in the majors already and they're pretty good, or Carter Keboom, who we've seen enough of to know that he's not going to be good. Uh, so they're not really prospects anymore. Um, they missed the boat a couple of years ago with, in the same similar situation with Bryce Harper, where they could have traded him at the deadline and gotten something back to reinforce the uh, the farm system, and they didn't, and they ended up losing him for nothing. So I just I don't see where I think it's going to take something really interesting to happen for the for the uh, the Nats to turn around. You know, my surgery got off to a pretty good start. It wasn't until last night that uh, all of a sudden the bottom dropped out a little bit. I was really surprised because, uh, you know, I, I thought he was right at that point where uh, he was not going to be dependable over the long haul. That was my opinion going into the season. Mm-hmm. And But he got off to a good start. But last night uh, he just, uh, boy, oh, boy, he was just batting practice. Oh, well, I think uh, you're talking about Serger. Is it right. Don? Yeah, Serger's been good. I think he just had a bad outing last night, and them trading him has no reflection on how he's playing. I think he's still a phenomenal pitcher that a lot of teams would like to have in the playoffs, right? I think it's more about the state of the Nationals and where they are, and if this is not going to be a season where they're going to win, you know, you've got an asset right there that you can use to um, restock the pen. And it doesn't look – you know, they've got $650 million invested in three starters. Like, that's outrageous in terms of what they're paying Strasburg, Corbin, and Scherzer. You know, someone's got to give with that. And I think if they're not going to win, if they're not going to be in contention, this isn't exactly a team that's built to say, oh, let's run it back next year and try it again. They're, they're going to have to look at him. So I, I, me saying that they should consider trading Scherzer or that they've got to think about it has nothing to do with him playing good, uh, poorly. I just think it's because he's an actual asset that a team like the Yankees or the Phillies or somebody who needs a ace to get into the playoffs would really be willing to give something up to get, and you could restock an ailing farm system. Roger, yeah, we've been talking what? about Strasburg for how many years, Roger? Ever, ever since he was initially signed, they won. we were doing they won. we were doing shows ten years ago. We talked about Strasburg. I haven't changed mm-hmm. my opinion one bit. Well, you're right, Don. We, when we talked about it, it's because everybody was saying, "Oh, we got to be a Hall of Famer right here." Before he even did anything, and he's had all the uh, all those injuries, these injuries that he's had, and. The other thing is, uh, Mike, the Phillies do not have talent in the minor leagues, period. And uh, they, they, two of, in the last five years, there's two number ones. One of them is, has now uh, basically self-retired, okay? Uh, he, he's uh, uh, not even being paid. 
And Mickey Moniak is back at the uh, alternate, uh, you know, uh, practice uh, center. And uh, they gave him a shot. You know, he was the number one, number one. And he has not made it to the big leagues in five years. Yeah. And that tells you what the the, the thing about the prospects is, um, you know, it's crapshoot when you draft these guys. You know, sometimes they just come out of nowhere. Uh, but you're right about Strasburg. I mean, he had, he had one really great back half of the season and won the uh, World Series MVP and was basically unhittable. But then he's out all last season. I think he pitched like four or five innings last season before going down with carpal tunnel syndrome. It's like, and how much what? money are they paying him, Mike? I mean, it's unbelievable. The first salary he got was oh. unbelievable. When he first signed, and it's gotten bigger ever since. Oh yeah, I think he's close to two hundred million. They made a decision to keep him and let Anthony Rendon go. I mean, with Strasburg, I swear I'm going to wake up one day and I'm going to read it, and it's going to say Strasburg 15 day DL. He's got colic. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> well. Listen, it's like looking at basketball at the NBA, like Tommy was talking oh, no. about at the top of the show. It is a no. disgrace. I have no interest in the NBA. I mean, you, you have a uh, – uh, Joel Embler, uh, 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 he thinks that he's the MVP, and uh, <laughs> he has uh, has only played three quarters of the game. you got to be kidding me. <laughs> they always say, Roger, the NBA. best ability is availability. Right. Yeah, right. And, right. Mike, thank you very much once again. It's always a pleasure. We touched a little bit of everything. But we got another always. guy right down the road, right I down the road from you. It's, it's Baltimore. He's going to join us here. We're going to not only talk about golf, but we'll talk a little bit about the Ravens, a little bit about the Baltimore Orioles, mm-hmm. a surprise. Covered the Washington mm-hmm. team pretty well. So, Doug, once again, welcome to the show before we yeah. ever get into yeah. golf, which is uh, – your your keynote as a PGA professional. Uh, what about those Orioles? They're still holding on with a little bit of a surprise. What's the score tonight? I've I've been able to follow the game. They they were losing. I think it was six nothing when I when I was coming down the road. I think uh, they they uh, gave up a few runs and then I think Gio Urshela hit a three run homer. I think to make it six nothing. I I hadn't uh, checked it. You know, since there we're we're some of, somewhat of a house divided here because. Uh, Candace is um, a Nats fan, so sometimes, you know, that, that unfortunately finds its way onto the television here. So um, <laughs> I, I was, I was yeah. more interested in, in eating dinner, so I didn't really care what was going on, to be honest with you. <laughs> so. Well, then we'll switch over from baseball to the Ravens because they have made a mm-hmm. couple of, uh, uh, like, great moves, but they've made a couple of moves in the last couple of weeks. And uh, so before we get to golf and the other guys, what about the Ravens? Um, always interesting. I kind of felt like something was going to happen before the uh, before the draft with regard to Orlando Brown. I think he staked his claim and and uh, you know stuck his foot in the ground and said he wanted to get out because he wanted to play left tackle. And uh, you know from a, from a payroll standpoint, the Ravens certainly didn't have the money to pay two two tackles, uh, both him and and Ronnie Stanley, which they had given quite a bit of money too before he got hurt. So, um, you know, when you, when you hit that final year of your contract and 
Uh, I mean, the the law of diminishing returns suggests that if they don't make a move, they're going to get continually get less for him moving forward because teams know, you know, that he's going to come cheaper because they're not going to pay him anyway. So, um, you know, they they got a first round draft pick. They swapped a couple other picks. Um, you know, I think at the end of the day, it was probably the best they obviously, you know, could have gotten. I'm sure that other teams were interested in getting a Pro Bowl tackle uh, on their team. Um, I was a little disappointed that they gave up their second-round pick in in addition to Orlando Brown for um, the 31st pick as well as I think they got a third-rounder and they swapped a couple picks next year, a six for a five or something like that. But, um, you know, their their eyes are certainly fixed on – and I, and I don't know why, but over the course of time, I mean, the, the Baltimore Ravens have never struck gold in the first round with a wide receiver, and they continually go back to that that well. Um, you know, so I, I would I would think uh, that they have their eyes fixated fixated at the bottom of that first round with the. Um, I think they're either going to pick an edge guy that falls to them. Um, they were talking about a guy from Penn State who has the role potential, but I don't think played particularly well statistically last year. Um, they have a few wide receivers I think they're looking at. Um, uh, Elijah Moore was one. Uh, Shock Bateman from Minnesota was another. And the guy from LSU, uh, Terrence, Terrace Mathis or something his name was, and a little bit of question mark about his um, his medicals. Um, so I, I don't know. I mean, if they, if they if they hold on to both picks, I think it'll be a combination of either an edge wide receiver or the potential of a tackle if there's one good there that uh, that they can plug and play. I know that they were talking about uh, uh, Alejandro Villanueva from Pittsburgh, who's a free agent, um, and I know that they were talking to another guy. Um, I can't remember his name from from Tennessee, who was a free agent um, to fill that void. Uh, but they still don't know if, if Ronnie Stanley's going to be available for opening day uh, based on his leg injury or not. So they might need two guys. I don't know. Um, so we'll see what happens there. Tommy? Yes, I think it's going to be you know, interesting interesting draft and what's going on with the Orioles. But I've got a golf question for you, right? You know, I, I couldn't hit this. You know, I couldn't hit my the new driver, right? So I stuck on mm-hmm. the old driver. And hitting hitting this ball a lot better. Is that be confidence wise, or or my swinging the way I used to swing inside? I used to swing with this new driver. Everything was outside, outside. So this new my old driver swinging everything inside. And is that new? Do I have my old swing back? You think that the ball is going farther, straightening it also up in the air a lot? Yeah, I mean certainly uh, the characteristics of the driver themselves. I mean if you put them side by side, there could be the potential of. Um, you know, uh, differences in, in the length of them, the loft of them, the shafts. I mean, there's obviously something that's uh, not right about the new one that's somewhat different than your old one. Um, you know, albeit it could be, you know, better technology. It, it may not be set up correctly for you um, in terms of your swing and, and some different things. And that's, you know, obviously where people like me come into play with regard to people and I do this all the time, you know, when they, they buy new products or, you know, they just need a 15, 20 minute, you know, kind of a, a scenario where they go down to the range and I watch them hit a few shots to suggest, you know, simple things, um, alignment, right. ball, you know, position in their stance. Uh, you obviously look at the grip. Um, you know, mm-hmm. we, we need to make sure that we have a target when we're, we're hitting golf balls so that we can somehow assess, you know, whether that was a good, good shot, some bad shot. I mean, you know, Tommy, from all the golf that you've played, you, you start changing some different things on the golf course uh, when maybe the fairways get a little tighter or it's a dog leg or, 
some different things come into play there. So um, on the range is obviously the best place to fine-tune yourself to make sure. Um, I, I was lucky enough to go down to the range this evening for a little while and you know, just wanted to work on some tempo, and I, I had my headphones in listening to some music, and it felt great to kind of just hit some shots again. I've, you know, really, since I started working the new job, tried to, you know, pretty much 45 minutes to an hour, sometimes an hour and a half a day, if I'm lucky to uh, go full around the, the. I mean, I've never spent this much time in and around the greens, the chipping green, uh, trying to you know, maneuver from 40 yards and in to uh, just overcome. I mean, we all, um, as we play, we keep our own scorecard of, of areas that we feel like we're deficient in, um, you know, whether it's mm-hmm. chipping, putting, driver, you know, all these different things. And then I think we need to spend some appropriate time to, um, you know, get better at those areas. I mean, everybody that, that has a job, plays golf, plays a sport or whatever I mean they feel comfortable doing the things they do well but you know will Mm -hmm. they look at themselves in the mirror and say these are the things I don't do well and you only have two choices you can avoid those things not not stick yourself in those spots or you can say you know what I'm going to overcome these things so I'm going to work hard and try to you know put the time in to do it so that's what I've chosen to do Roger that's great good to hear that Tommy has an advantage over all of us Uh, he doesn't have a job Right. That's right. <laughs> and plays golf all day, right? Well, uh, I got a quick, uh, quick one. Uh, do you have your uh, outside staff uh, in place now? Yeah, we've we've acquired uh, some newbies, and it's only going to get better here as time goes on. With uh, some individuals coming back from college, um, you know, we're always we'll probably have room for a handful more. We're going to start getting into some. Monday events uh, that are going to require us to uh, that's the the weirdest thing for me is um, you know and and mom and dad actually stopped by today to kind of see the facility and just kind of check some things out the golf shop is starting to get populated nicely but there's the area in which we stage the golf carts uh, in and around the first tee is a little bit tight and I'm a little concerned of you know some of these bigger events that we may do of of exactly how to get these carts uh, in areas where you know, we can effectively lead them out to the holes. So we'll, we'll start fooling with that here uh, over the weekend. We have our uh, first event, the club event that we're going to, you know, host for the members. And right now we've got about 60 people signed up for it, which is great. Um, you know, I, I think that the, the, the support uh, from the membership during, you know, a, a new regime, if you will, is, is incredibly important to make sure that we can effectively, um, you know, have them participate in our events, administer those events and, um, you know, kind of bring that membership together to use their facility. Um, you know, a lot of people don't like to play in in scramble events. And, and to be honest with you, I don't truly believe that even though this format of this event is a scramble, that we're that's not really what they're signing up for. You know, they're they're signing up to support their their club, to support the shop, and that's certainly something I want to touch on as I uh, make my announcement to them on how important it is for them to. Um, you know, help us along uh, that we're all brand new here and we're trying to do the best we can. And uh, we came in late to the game, so uh, we're going to have to rely on, on some of their, um, you know, leadership in some respects. And, and certainly, you know, this is a new case for me to own the golf shop. And, um, you know, this <laughs> this certainly isn't a science fair project where I'm trying to make it just look good. I need them to, you know, uh, mm-hmm. support me and make some purchases and, and um, mm-hmm. you know, make this a good partnership. Doug, do you have any uh, caddies at all, or strictly carts? Uh, you know, it's we we have it's a very that's a very good question. There used to be a caddy program there, but unfortunately, it, it was more of um, 
it was more of a bag carrying program slash for caddy program. Um, I don't believe that the caddies were uh, incredibly deft at, uh, you know, properly clubbing people and or, um, you know, reading putts and, and doing the things that they needed to do to, to become effective and, and help them with their game, so to speak. I mean, I've played at other places where the caddy programs were uh, very good, but, you know, in most cases, you, you certainly need to have a, a caddy master and, and some version of training program and, and um, you know, some standards in place that make that a an effective program. So, I mean, the, I think that door remains open in the future to uh, bring back that caddy program. Um, I don't believe that I have the, the time or the inclination uh, early on in this tenure to, to embrace that. Um, I think it's something that I'd like to probably do. Um, the problem there is that the, the walk is a, is a pretty difficult walk. It's a very hilly golf course. It's a, um, you know, it's not super flat and it's a tough walk for a caddy to carry not just one, but two bags. Uh, you know, so a lot of our members use push carts. Uh, we only have 45 golf carts. Unfortunately, the storage area down below the, the golf shop. Um, certainly I want to, you know, take a look at that moving forward to either expand that area and or there's a couple walls down there that if we fold with, maybe we could, we could get some more golf carts down there. I don't know, but, but these are all notes that I've made uh, since, you know, starting there just a few months ago that I think we can make some serious improvements on to enhance that experience for everybody. What's the, uh, what's the rate, what's the caddy rate in your area right now? What are, what are the uh, young fellows? Because a lot of the college kids yeah. coming out, uh, will step up and be caddies over the summertime. And, uh, mm-hmm. what do they get for single bag, double bag? What's the, what's the rate? Yeah, it's another good question. Um, you know, there's, I'm trying to think, I, I want to think that there's, uh, only really maybe two caddy programs that are kind of left in that immediate Baltimore area. I mean, Cave Valley, um, which is a national golf course, um, you know, just on the other side of Reister Sound is, is a very kind of upper echelon high end golf course that has a wonderful caddy program. I, I know the caddy master very well. I, I've, I've called him to uh, just kind of chat with him about some different things. Um, and I mean, they, they get a hundred dollars a bag, I think, and a lot of those guys Ooh. carry two bags. Um, oh. The caddy program that used to be at Woodholm, um, say two years ago, I think they were getting maybe sixty a bag, um, and in some cases it could have been less than that if they were just a four caddy, which is essentially, you know, hey, help me find my golf ball, um, you know, right, the bunkers, right. you know, those sorts of things, um, but. It, it becomes an interesting concept if, if you're not at the right place because now you're talking about, you know, most of the caddies are independent contractors and have some level of concern for insurance purposes if they fall and hurt themselves or get hit with a golf ball or step in a hole or those sorts of things. Um, in most cases, the, it's it's incumbent upon the caddy themselves to carry their own level of uh, liability insurance. Um you know, in a lot of cases, too, you talk about the loss of revenue because the member would pay them directly. And unfortunately, you know, the club itself is going to lose revenue uh, from the standpoint of non, them not renting a golf cart if that program wasn't in place. Um, so there's there's some interesting concept questions there um, to build that program the best it can be uh, so that everybody kind of wins. Roger? Yeah, the... Uh, what are you, how many uh, uh, carts did you say you had, Doug? On site. There's only 45 of them, so I mean, that's, 
you know, essentially if you're doing a, you know, a charity event, that's 90 bucks that you can put in those seats. And um, in a lot of cases, if you're doing, you know, we, we have one on May 10th that I had to actually rent golf carts for. Um, I rented 18 golf carts, um, you know, so that they could have, you know, carts for volunteers and, and enough for their, uh, for their participants as well. Um, it gets kind of messy in some spots in those cases too. You know. Yeah, so they have to bring them in on a uh, tractor trailer, I guess, right? Correct. Yeah, and that's, mm-hmm. you know, that's also under the auspice that all 45 of your golf carts are, are, you know, from a functioning standpoint, whether it's, you know, the, the GPS screens are, are functioning or not, and those things are a pain in the butt, um, you know, or whether you, you have any issues with golf carts that, you know, may have been wrecked or the windshields or, you know, all these sorts of things. So we, we actually have our cart guy come in, uh, I think, tomorrow to just go through the fleet and make sure that everything's a go uh, so we have what we need for our events. Tommy? That's interesting when you think about that, dog. I, Tommy, I, I what do you play for a caddy? What do you, what do you play, Tommy? What do you go out for a caddy? Well, Hello, who said that? Well, Hernando Oaks, there's no caddies up at Hernando Oaks. I've got to get you hey, guys Tommy, up there. Just the come on on. Some of those guys <laughs> have you as the caddy, right? <laughs> oh, God. Doug, <laughs> <laughs> you said $100 a bag when I started caddying at Roman Green, Don and Roger, and Frank all know this. There was $6 a bag. This was back in the <laughs> probably mm-hmm. early 70s, and you used to have a cart for spot for a cart. There's an extra dollar in there. I'm like, wow, right. man, I played rolling about two years ago for our high school open over there. They had a four caddy, and they paid the four caddy $200 just to watch ball golf clubs. I'm like, mm-hmm. oh, my God. What, you know, it, it, the golf, the caddies, and back then it was like, oh, boy, you, you're happy to get a $2 tip off these, off these hackers right. up there. But the, but the best line my friend ever used for on a golf course, right, <laughs> it was a it was a um, it was a Springfield Open. Everybody, kids from the high schools had it open there for the members, and the and the kids get off the school to to play the golf caddies over there at, at, the, at the golf club. So, so it, was, it was so sloppy. Everybody, the balls would hit the, the the balls would hit the you know the dirt in this one hole, and my buddy says, "Hey, caddy, where's my golf ball?" I said, if you give me a shovel, I'll find it. (laughs) 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 Tommy, let me tell you, Tommy, Frank has volunteered to caddy for you any day of the week that you'd like to go out on the golf course. Frank will be more than happy to pick your bag up, and if you have a friend, he'll carry both of them, and he will not charge you more than $65 a bag. There we go. That's a great thing. We'll put Frank in in the bags and the... And two carts up at Hernando Oaks for free. <laughs> well, I, I, got, I got news for you. I'll be in the bag before you pick him up. I'll be walking that far. Roger, you're up, Roger. Oh, yeah. okay. hey, listen, you know what, Tommy, you know, you brought back memories. We had our uh, uh, senior class picnic out at, on, by Crumb Creek in that park. And, and we were just talking uh-huh. about this. A friend of mine, my class and I, and uh, what happened is some of the uh, guys put beer in the uh, creek the night before <laughs> and the cooled off, and then they got carried away. And then I, when, I was, when they redid the high school, I was there with the Alumni Association, 
and we had these students uh, giving us a tour the way they realigned it. And I asked about the uh, class picnic, and the young lady says, oh, sir, there was a class a long time ago that got drunk. There's no more class picnics. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, Roger, you didn't tell me that uh, Joey Gallagher was your football coach. (laughs) Yeah, he was there after uh, after me, but he was great. I used to go. Yep. couple of games. Uh, uh, Jim Shiplett was there. Well, you mm-hmm. remember him when he was there. Yep. And Andy yep. Pally, you know, played, uh, he played there at, for Haverford. Right. He was really uh, good. And, and he's going into the uh, uh, College Football Hall of Fame. I can't wait to get okay. down there and, and store of it. I never have. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's fantastic. That's, that's fantastic. Well, you guys are a lot older than I am. See, I don't remember any of this stuff. Uh, we're all young. Right. <laughs> well, oh, you, were, you know, you were in New Jersey. You know, we were all in uh, Delaware County, Springfield and uh, Chester and, you know, and St. James. And, yeah, I mean, and Haverford, you know, and uh, uh, the, it just, which, you know, the, I'll tell you what's, what Springfield Country Club, I didn't even realize that's a, uh, uh, what is that, a township club, Tommy? Is a club owned by the township? Yeah, that's what I uh, I didn't know that. And it's got a great restaurant. That's where my my sister-in-law had her Upper Darby uh, uh, reunion, be a reunion there. Wow. Everybody, Roger, I used to walk in there, right? I played Springfield uh, 10, 15 years, and they changed the clubhouse up there. It has all beautiful clubhouse, right? And the lady said... Well, sorry about the conditions. I said, I played this course in the worst conditions. Everything was burnt out. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm up no, the, the golf tournament is the golf tournament this weekend is down in Tommy's backyard. Now, maybe Tommy's got a caddy for, for, the, uh, for the pros over there in Tampa. Yeah, are you caddying this week, Tommy? No, no, no. I didn't, oh, oh, that's right, the tournament up the Innisbrook. No, I... What do you mean? Is no, that right? You don't know the tournaments in your backyard? You see what I got to work with, Doug? This is what I got to work with, Doug. Man, it's unbelievable, isn't it? I should have had on TV for Who's on first? Who's on first? Tommy can spend it being on the golf course. He's not another playing there. Well, I knew they were playing. <laughs> Well, maybe Tommy's going, Tommy. Tommy may be going to the uh, tournament. No, I don't think I'm going. But Francis Tick-Tick-Tock, we're up against the clock, guys, this week. And another great That's the way to get out of it, Tommy. That's the way to get out of it. Okay. Change the subject. Doug, thank, thank you very much, as always, Doug. And, you know, continued success. I hope your, I hope your tournament uh, goes off uh, in great shape. And use those, 40, use those 45 cards in their best way. That's right. Doug, have a great week. All right, guys. Thank you. God bless. It was just a great show. Uh, We were so blessed to have uh, the guest. And uh, as always, uh, Frank, we really, we love you. You just, uh, without you, there is no show. Take care. There is. Uh, Well, Frank, I'd like to thank your our, our, our legends for coming on, Mr. Roy Cummings, Mr. Don Henderson, of course, Mr. Roger Hendler, and special goes out to Billy Wendell. A good friend of the program and Mr. Bill Berge 
And Frank was to see you spinning the dials as, they, as he would say in Cleveland for Herb Scordoni announcement. Spinning the dials. Thank you again, sir. God bless you and your family. And wasn't it for you, Frank? The show never would have taken off. And God bless you, Frank. All right. Thanks, Tommy. Ladies and gentlemen, these programs are brought to you each and every night of the week in grateful appreciation to the men and women of the United States Armed Forces, men and women of the police and fire services. When you're out there and you see somebody in uniform, please acknowledge them. They're very, very tough times for everybody. These programs are dedicated to those who have lost their lives in the line of duty. Deputy Robert Anthony Carroll, Patrolman David Curtis, Patrolman Jeffrey Colcap, Sergeant Thomas Bager, Patrolman Jeffrey Yazowitz, Detective Randy Bell, Detective Ricky Childers, San Diego Officer Mike Handler, Lieutenant Mike Zerber, Newcastle County Police, Patrolman Anafu Crescent, Lakeland PD, Chief Al Hogo, Longboat Key Police Department, Chief Jimmy Ford, Wilmington Fire Department, Highway Patrolman Alonzo Moses, Philadelphia Highway Patrol, Highway Patrolman Brian Lazaro, Philadelphia Highway Patrol, Highway Patrolman Brian Murphy, Plymouth Township, PA Highway Patrol, Lieutenant Bob Neary, Philadelphia Fire Department, <clears throat> Sergeant Mike Wilson, Charlotte County Sheriff's Department, Deputy Chief Mike Godwin, Philadelphia Fire Department, W. Jonathan Scott Pine, Orange County Sheriff's Department. <clears throat> Patrolman Robert Germain, Windermere, Florida Police Department. Trooper Chelsea Richards, High, Florida Highway Patrol. Lieutenant Joyce Craig Lewis, Philadelphia Fire Department. Patrolman Charlie Condit, Tarpon Springs Police Department. Hillsborough County Deputy Sheriff Charlie Kyloff. Sergeant James O'Connor, Philadelphia Police Department. Sergeant Ronnie Bond, Delaware State Police. Lieutenant uh, Jerry Ficus. Wilmington Fire Department, Captain Chris Leach, Wilmington Fire Department, Lieutenant Artith Hope, Wilmington Fire Department, FDLE Special Inspector Vinnie Galaccio, Delaware State Trooper Corporal Stephen Ballard, Kissimmee Patrol Officer Matt Baxter, Kissimmee Sergeant Sam Howard, Captain Matt Letourneau, Philadelphia Philadelphia Fire Department, Deputy Bill Gentry, Highland County Sheriff's Department, Uh, Deputy... uh, Clay Zerba, Clay County Sheriff's Department. Deputy Natalie Corona, L.A. County Sheriff's Department. Pasco County Deputy Sheriff April Rodriguez. Officer Bob McKetchen, Biloxi, Kentucky Police Department. Trooper Joe Bullock, Florida Highway Patrol. Sergeant Brian LeVeek, Hillsborough County Sheriff's Department. Deputy Mike Malik, Pinellas County Sheriff's Department. My brothers and sisters, although you may be 10-7 at this point in time, at some time we'll be 10-10 at the table of the Lord until that time. May the roads rise up to meet you. May the winds be always at your back. May the rains fall softly on your fields and the sun shine lightly on your face. Until we meet again, may the good Lord keep you and your families always in the hallow of his hands. Good night, God bless, and have a great week.
Good night, Bob. 